Yes, Rush Limbaugh is dead. And our question today on this special is, who else is dying and will follow Rush in that death throw? So this is a special edition of Media Insultant, not Media Consultant. This is Media Insultant, where we say just about anything we want to, and so far I've gotten away with it. So thanks <laughs> for joining us this morning. I'm Jackson Weaver, and my co-host is the esteemed Keith Samuels. Keith, good morning. And do you remember the first time you heard Rush on the air? Well, I do. And I, you know, I think that, that anybody who listened regularly uh, over the years and is of an age remembers that moment vividly and is happy to share it uh, with Rush when they called in or were, happy, were lucky enough to get on the air. But yes, I was a sales manager in Seattle at KMPS. And one of my reps you know, had me go out on a call with her. And we were, I know, we were driving up the five freeway uh, from uh, downtown up north. She goes, you know, you got to hear this guy. You know, it's pretty amazing. So I'm thinking that was probably, well, the late 80s. I don't know if yeah. it was 88 when he first went national or whether it was, uh, you know, 90, somewhere around there. But uh, yeah, as soon as he was syndicated and available on KBI in Seattle, you know, I, I, I heard him for the first time and was just, uh, just amazed at the guy. So what stood out? I mean, we look back on it 30 years later and we think all of this is pretty standard. And there have been a lot of talk show hosts who have replicated exactly what Rush does. What was it that stood out so dramatically for you? You know, Rush was a very relatable figure in that he, he really was, a, he, his human side came out all the time in his show. And you got, you got to be like a, and that's what good radio hosts are able to do is to create that kind of personal connection with their audience, an individual personal connection. So everybody listened to him, felt that they were best friends or they were, you know, hey, I knew Rush kind of thing. And so uh, I think there, that his ability to connect to people, and and then of, of course in a time where you know no one was really voicing you know conservative ideas and conservative ideals, and and some of the critiques that I've read in the last twenty four hours of talking about how he kind of uh, not only popularized conservative thoughts, but he he kind of he explained these issues and the issues of the day and the, and the politicians of the day in, in kind of a context that had not been presented before. And I think that, and that a lot of people, half of the country probably, was able to relate to and understand and, and go, okay, I, yeah, I get it. He's, he's, that's what I always felt, or that's what I always were, was thinking. So I think that's how people were able to relate to him in a, in a real close uh, and personal manner. Well, when he went on the air here, he went on the air originally on King, Stan Mack, who was running King at the time, brought him on. And I think he lasted about three months before the Bullet family listened to, <laughs> to him. And the Bullets are extremely liberal. Uh, the Bullets are the same family that owned King 5 now, and or did then, excuse yeah. me, they, they don't now, but they owned King 5. And at the time, one of my favorite stories is a sidebar to show how liberal the Bullets were on Channel 5 their NBC affiliate in Seattle, Washington, they had a constant logo on all programming that said, stop the war. <laughs> so this was a liberal group of uh, folks who didn't want to have anything like Rush Limbaugh on their AM station. So KVI picked it up and truly it not only made KVI, but it revitalized and saved AM radio. Wouldn't you agree? No question. I think, I think it's a, it saved it's yes. It postponed the, the uh, decline <laughs> of AM radio certainly for a lot of stations. And, you know, if you think about it back at that time, you know, from a syndication standpoint and from, this was pre-consolidation. He goes to WABC in New York, becomes a, he's a smash hit in New York for WABC. And then I guess probably that's where Craig Kitchen Premier probably picked up on him. And maybe Craig already knew him, created this, this syndication powerhouse 
And for the first time, you know, you've got this guy on hundreds of stations. And you think about that effort. There weren't just five major owners or four major owners of radio stations. There were hundreds of owners of radio stations. And most of them had an AM and FM. Okay. So you had an AM and an FM, or you just had an AM. So, you know, that, that's, you know, the, the, the effort and, and the, uh, the syndication people that just created this network for Rush was, was pretty phenomenal. And that was really the first, other than say Paul Harvey and his snippets, you know, every day, you know, he'd have his, he'd have his two or three minutes a commentary. There really wasn't anybody that was syndicated like that nationally. Um, and so I think, you know, everybody that's got a syndicated radio show, whether it's AM or FM today, can thank Rush and, and, and Craig Kitchen and the, and the folks at Premier that got that going for the business that is syndicated radio. And what a phenomenon. But, that, but back then, that, that, that had never happened. You had to be on, a, on an existing network. You had to be on the CBS radio network, or you were on the NBC radio network, or ABC radio network. And there were a couple of contemporary networks, but that was it. And this, this just came out of nowhere at, at the end of the uh, Fairness Doctrine and pre-consolidation, the phenomenon was started. So you take a look at 88 when he began to be syndicated and about half of the radio audience at the time was on AM. Yeah. And today we're down to about 10%. So Rush really aged with his audience. I mean, in 1988, if you were 38, you're 70 today, the day he dies. So when he was 38, when he started the syndication nationally, but is this the death of talk radio of, of conservative talk radio? Well, I, it's, it's a, it's a, a major setback for sure. And, you know, they'll still be, uh, they'll still be hosts. They'll still be, you know, the Hannity's and the Gorkas and the uh, Levins of the world. But, you know, you've already seen it with, with Michael Savage go off to podcast land. You know, I, I think you're going to see more of that happening where, you know, these AM stations, but what are you going to do with your AM station? You're still going to be running stuff from Premier. You're still going to be running stuff from Westwood One. You're still going to be carrying this content because, you know, you can't afford to put local talent on. You're still going to have to carry something. And so, um, you know, I think there'll still be a market for it, but that market is going to be significantly smaller. Yeah, I don't think it's going to kill conservative radio either, but there's no tentpole anymore. And that's going to be, that's going to be a real problem. And we are beginning to see some of this talent spin off. Uh, You mentioned Michael Savage. He's no longer being syndicated. He's now spun off and is, is doing a podcast. So I don't know, you know, there are a couple of takeaways I've got on this. One is that all products have a life cycle and AM's life cycle has got a lot of the same limitations. Other generations of products have had. Morse code, the uh, telegrams, pagers, uh, answering machines, you know, they all had a, had a cycle. You know, I think this does truly mark kind of the end of AM radio's life cycle as much as that saddens me. But, you know, the content just isn't there much anymore. And you're seeing more and more AM stations, they just turn the license back in. Yeah, It's expensive to maintain, takes a lot of land. Nobody knows how to do the engineering much anymore. It's a complex engineering, much more complex than FM. Uh, I think this is kind of the uh, canary. The canary is hacking badly <laughs> in the coal, in the mine. coal mine. Yeah. yeah. What do you, you know, think? Well, I, th- I think you're, I think, uh, you're right. I don't think it's going to go away completely. Nothing ever really dies. Um, it just it just morphs into something else. And so, you know, you still have sports, you still have talk, you've got, you know, some um, music of your life stations struggling along, a lot of religious stations now, ministry stations, you know, it'll still have a place because people will still want to broadcast. 
And then you've got certain situations where you've got markets like a San Francisco, where, you know, AM will continue to be strong because it's such a difficult marketplace for FM signals to, to, to really dominate. But there's only a handful of those places. And so, you know, that, that's not going to save it all entirely either. You know, the interesting thing, too, about um, the phenomenon of Rush, then after him, probably Stern, and then after him, you know, a proliferation of other, other talents, whether they were talk on FM or talk on AM, and is that, you know, these guys really invent and really helped take national what we'd always done locally, which was endorsement commercials. You know, it was always powerful to have a, an endorsement spot. You know, you'd get your morning guy to do an endorsement and, you know, that was amazing. You paid the guys talent fees to do it. And it really made businesses. And, and these guys were able to take it nationally. And you think about the story about no, no one would have heard of Snapple if it hadn't been for Rush. And he was drinking Snapple iced tea on the air, doing these live spots. And sure enough, I mean, you know, uh, Thomas Lee bought Snapple. He ended up selling it to a, you know, giant um, investment group for for like a billion dollars. And the and so the three guys in New York who started Snapple, this funky little company that Rush founded, probably some bodega in in New York, and and loved it, you know, became multi 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 millionaires. And he did that over and over again with all sorts of products, all the way to this day. I mean, you know, Simply Safe and My Pillow and some of these other products. And you see that endorsement process, you know, replicate throughout all syndicated radio. And now it's those kinds of endorsements that are fueling podcasting. Yeah, great point. That's you great know, point. so all those you know, they've taken that model to podcasting, much lower rates. You know, boy, you can get you can you can buy a you know ten years of podcast spots for probably a week of rush. And, you know, these guys were just, so they were, they were ahead of their time and certainly Rush was and the power of being able to help, you know, sell products because that's what you do on commercial radio guys is you sell products to pay the bills. So let me ask you a second question on this. Obviously Rush's impact on AM was because the content was so important. So then the question is at this point, if content remains King, guys like Joe Rogan get uh, signed for a hundred million dollars at Spotify and that sort of thing. AM radio's challenge is to come up with another rush, right? Uh, yeah, no question. No question. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Dave Ramsey is a huge success. Um, you know, you've got a, you've got a handful of folks, but, but that pool is shrinking. And also they're all diversifying in how you can, you know, consume their content like they have to do. And that's, you know, streaming, it's podcasting, it's, uh, you know, video, video on YouTube. It's just like what we do. Just like what we do, right? And <laughs> Except they have an audience that's really big. <laughs> hey, that's okay. We are hit bound with a bullet. And everybody says, what does that mean? And I think, oh, it's just not worth explaining. My final takeaway on this is Rush probably is the last major talent to have an impact worldwide. I mean, if you look back on it, we've had a couple of people like um, Edward R. Murrow, Paul Harvey, Howard Stern, now Rush Limbaugh have had a major impact, societal impact. I don't know that radio will ever do that again. What do you think? I agree. I, you know, I think that that ability is uh, dwindling. The talent may or may not be there, but I think in, in the end, it's going to be very, very fractionalized. And to be able to uh, have that kind of coverage, I mean, you know, to reach 30 million people a week for 30 years or 15 million people a week for 30 years 
be able to build that size of an audience will be extraordinarily difficult because we're seeing, you know, this is all micro-targeting and it's all, you know, fractionalized. And uh, I, I don't think um, we'll see that phenomenon ever again. Well, and to put that number into, into a little bit of context, the number one primetime program last week on television reached about two and a half million people. So your point is, is well made. You know, that's a huge reach that I don't think we'll ever see uh, anybody in radio ever do again. Now, Ramsey probably comes close, but doesn't have the same societal impact. He's not going to get a uh, presidential award. Like, yeah, probably not. And, like, you know, you don't, you, you know, Dan Patrick doesn't have that impact right. uh, on the sports side or Colin Cowherd or somebody. You know, I, I think there's certainly, you know, um, as an organization, NPR has a significant, significant societal impact, but that's split among a lot of different shows and a lot of different personalities. You know, uh, it's uh, you know, some of it niche and some of it, you know, a little bit broader, you know, and, and certain markets maybe you know, powerful, but not, you know, I think uh, Ryan Seacrest to a certain extent has, has kind of built that kind of national uh, following based on a radio platform, you know, that's, uh, you know, he's a DJ, you know, he's a it's DJ. Not, you know yeah. Dick Clark was, uh, was a, essentially their first VJ, you know, right. Right. American so American bandstand. Band yeah. Had this, you know, societal impact like American Idol did for about a decade. And now it's kind of waning a bit, but still very powerful and the voice and those kinds of things, but it's just, and, and, and obviously Ryan patterns himself after Dick Clark, but uh, yeah, but, Never, never, I think, will anybody reach that kind of that peak uh, of popularity and reach like Rush did. Well, I think that uh, a note to finish our short Rush Limbaugh memorial uh, podcast, video podcast and audio podcast. And, you know, I just thought it would be uh, an appropriate thing to do to spend a couple of minutes talking about his impact while it's still fresh, because next week there'll be something else going on and <laughs> we'll get together next Monday and put together another commentary on what's going on in media. And there's always something interesting. So, yeah, well, you know, in Jackson, you know, regardless of politics, I mean, uh, Rush had a massive, massive impact in a positive way on radio. And a lot of people made a lot of money selling spots in Rush's show. So, um, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, radio stations where the flag is at half mast because of uh, the lost <laughs> audience, the lost audience and the lost revenue. You know, that's going to be tough to make up. Be real tough. Be real tough. Thanks, buddy. Till next Monday, be well and have a great week. Thanks for joining us both uh, here on Media Insultant.